Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. Delighted to see you returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and uh, today we've got something. I, you'll have to pardon the the fumes here inside the shop it may smell a little bit like gasoline and oil exhaust what we've got for you today is a vintage chainsaw now you're probably saying to yourself uh, chris why do you have a chainsaw in odds bodkin's curiosity shop is this becoming a hardware store no this is a piece of antiquity and it is a piece of cultural iconography this chainsaw if you look at it close we'll find it is a poland 306a chainsaw vintage i would say from around 1973 1974 it comes in the customary lime green color as poland did uh, back in those days and you might think that the bar on this is of the shorter variety but let me tell you folks this chainsaw can do plenty of damage because this chainsaw is not too dissimilar maybe it is in fact the chainsaw from 1974's the texas chainsaw massacre which is seeing a bit of a revitalization with a brand new netflix sequel which we are going to discuss today on odds bodkin's curiosity shop so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at texas chainsaw massacre I was quite interested to see that Netflix was doing another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And, and, and that really sparked my curiosity because I have not been a huge fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Of course, the 1974 original is a classic. Uh, I don't know as if it's the masterpiece that a lot of people make it out to be, but I really enjoy the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the grittiness, the simplicity of it. I, I've always wondered, only one person actually gets killed with a chainsaw in the original so could it be considered a massacre but uh, Leatherface has gone down in infamy uh, living up to the massacre name in, in the preceding sequels and reboots and prequels but the chainsaw massacre franchise is one that I really I, I, I found myself hard-pressed to get into it because uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 seemed a bit of a parody. It, it seemed a bit of a spoof on the genre. It seemed a bit of a spoof of the original. Uh, you know, when they did the uh, the movie poster, and it was kind of a riff off the Breakfast Club movie poster, uh, you can tell this was more satire than anything. Then 3 came out, but just there was not a lot of consistency and and not a lot of coherency in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Even, and that's saying a lot uh, from a fan of the Halloween franchise. Uh, don't get me wrong, that's, that's uh, hypocrisy. Uh, is not lost on me, but at least through the first uh, six, or I mean, not counting part three, but one, two, uh, four, five, and six, there was a bit of continuity. Some of the plot lines didn't make sense as to where they went in different directions, but there was at least some continuity to it. 
until they did the reboot with the Halloween H2O. Then uh, we had a lot of reboots with this. We had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003, the Leatherface one, they did the uh, movie, the 3D movie. Of course, there in the early 2010s, uh, 3D was making a resurgence. It was like it was 1984 all over again, kids. And uh, they did the 3D Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just, uh, I just didn't do anything for me. But I've always been interested in the Leatherface character. To me, that has been one of the more horrifying. Uh, slashers of that time and even you know everybody talks about Halloween and Michael Myers being the birth of the slasher film and this came out uh, several years before that in 1974 so really you know you could really make a case for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Leatherface uh, being the godfather of slasher films. But this character, Leatherface, has always frightened me. Even, even when I was a kid, the thought of this big, hulking brute of a man uh, running around with somebody's skin <laughs> as a mask and carrying around a chainsaw, uh, that that to me is horrifying. The thought of this thing who who has some, uh, for all his bumbliness at times, he has uh, quick reflexes and can move quite fast when when needs be. And that that to me is frightening. How he can disappear and and you're not sure where he's at. And I, I've heard a lot of people reviewing. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new film, and they're recanting uh, the things that have happened in, in previous films. And I've heard somebody say, well, in this new one, he's calculating like Michael Myers, and he's never been that before. Well, he was actually quite calculating in the original. And, and that's what this is a uh, direct sequel to, is the original um, when you watch him, he's very calculating in what he does and how he does it. Uh, you know, uh, these these people show up at the house and he's not surprised. And and in some some regards, it feels like he's laying wait for these people, uh, especially after Kirk uh, gets dispatched right off the bat when he comes to the house. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the differences and the, the weather twos and the Y4s of what makes this uh, good or bad in comparison to the first one. But uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was quite frightening and I, I think ahead of its time when it came out in 1974, I think one of the things that, that got me as a kid, because this came out the year I was born. I was born in 1974, so I never saw it uh, when it first came out. But growing up, I always had older cousins who had seen this movie. And when they do the the scroll at the beginning of the movie, and they have John Larroquette uh, reading this, this scroll and talking about how these events happened to these teenagers and, and all this, it, it made it feel like this was a, an account of a real thing. And I remember my cousins uh, trying to scare the, the crap out of me as a kid telling me about this movie and, and talking about it in terms that made this feel like this was an actual thing that happened and this movie was just based on these real events. So the, the thought that there might be uh, somebody out, this hulking brute of a man with people's skin as a mask and, and carrying a chainsaw uh, ready to, to chop me limb from limb, uh, that, that was a frightening thing. And even to this day, the, the thought of that is, is quite a, 
a chilling thing to to contemplate. So I've always liked the idea of Leatherface. Uh, I just think that in some of the films and in some of the remakes, I mean, the, the 2003 remake, the reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre was... Uh, well, it was okay. It, it was a good reimagining, I think, of the original. It still wasn't better than the original. Uh, I think it was better than a lot of the sequels that came after the original. Uh, but all in all, for the most part, the franchise just didn't do anything for me because Leatherface got too silly. You know, he had the Saw's family on his uh, his new uh, chainsaw because the chainsaws got bigger and bigger. It's funny, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre like I said, he used that pull-in 306, and it's actually quite a small chainsaw in comparison to some of the chainsaws that were used in later films. And I've heard some reviewers talking about this new film, uh, that the chainsaw looks newer. And actually, uh, I may be mistaken, but it acts like they it looks like they either used a vintage Poolin 306 chainsaw or they crafted one to look like it because that looked it had that lime green that the original had from the original movie. The bar on it seemed a little bit bigger because for me, I rewatched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre before watching this this new one. And I thought to myself, I don't remember the chainsaw, the bar on the chainsaw being so almost comically small. But I think they amped that up a little bit in this, this new sequel. Enough of the original, enough of the sequels. Let's get into the sequel because they did, uh, they pulled a Halloween, uh, David Gordon Green Halloween on this uh, franchise where they decided to discount part two through the last thing they did with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they made this as a direct sequel to the original 1974, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which ticked me off as a fan of Halloween for them to do that. But in this case, like I said, there was just so much garbage from the original to now that I, I didn't mind if they, they restarted the whole thing. They could, do anything they want with the mythos of Leatherface. Like I said, there was some cool stuff that happened in two, three, four. You know, the reboots and, and all that. There was some cool stuff, but for the most part, I just I didn't care about the franchise. They had a chance to reset it. This to maybe start from scratch, if you can call it that, with Leatherface pushing near seventy years old now. Um, much like Michael Myers, but I, but I was worried they were going to do Leatherface like they did Michael Myers because in Halloween, Michael Myers has gotten bigger, he's gotten stronger, and he's been doing nothing but standing around in a mental facility uh, for the past, you know, however many years, 40, 50 years. That to me doesn't make any sense. Uh, were they going to do that with Leatherface? What has Leatherface been doing? I liked the idea that they were bringing back the Sally character, who was played by Marilyn Burns in the original. Unfortunately, uh, she has since passed away. She passed away in uh, 2014 of what uh, seems to be a heart attack, but I don't think it was ever really specified. But Marilyn Burns uh, no longer with us, but they got, I, I think, a, a pretty good stand-in for her. Olin Fuere played the Sally Hardesty character, and I thought she did a great job. Uh, you know, she looked 
the part. She looked like that grizzled Texan. She looked like she could have been uh, an older version of Marilyn Burns. So I, I like that. But were they going to do the Jamie Lee Curtis thing where, you know, she's been waiting all this time and she's laying traps for him and she's the only one that can vanquish uh, Leatherface? That, to me, we've seen that. And... I think I've liked those aspects of Hallow the new Halloweens, but in the context of the films, I, I just don't care about that either. So I didn't want to see them do the same things that Halloween was doing by doing essentially what Halloween did and starting over from scratch with the sequels. And I have to say, there was one point in the movie where uh, Olin Fuere, uh, yeah, I thought if she says evil dies tonight right now, as God is my witness, I will turn this movie off. Luckily, she did not say that. Now, I'm going to be a little bit spoilery. I'm not going to tr I'm going to try not to spoil too much. Maybe do a little connecting of the dots of some of the things you're going to see in the trailer but not give too much away uh, with the plot and, and what exactly happens. Uh, we're going to talk about the characters uh, because I think some of the characters were some of the brighter points. Some of the actors were some of the brighter points of this movie. But uh, but I am going to get into maybe what could be considered some light spoilers, but uh, nothing too major. Uh, now, the basic plot of this, it's been 50 years since the killing spree, and we get a bunch of these kids. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're assuming they're 20-somethings heading to Harlow, Texas, influencers they're they're idealist and they are going to buy up they bought up this town at least the main stretch of the the downtown area what there is of it and uh, they're going to gentrify it and make this a hopping place for hipsters and influencers like now really they set up this town as a very rural very isolated town now that's probably one of the plot holes is that it doesn't make sense uh, you know, they're, I think the one, the one girl says they're seven hours away from where they used to live. Uh, so this is out in the middle of nowhere. And, and to think you're going to uh, create this hopping hipster hub uh, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, uh, with no real, uh, nobody seems to live around there. It's so rural. Uh, they've got two guys on the police force and that seems like they overdid it. Uh, we only meet a couple of the townsfolk. Uh, so yeah, this is a, a rural location. This is an isolated location. And, and these kids are, are coming out there to, to take over the town and revitalize it and gentrify it, as I said. And that's kind of a big theme throughout this movie. But they upset the apple cart when they try to kick Alice Krieg's uh, character out of her home. Now, she's uh, apparently been running this orphanage for quite some time. She claims she has the title to it. These kids think that they have purchased it from the bank who, who owned the lien on the, on the establishment. And it gets to a lot of bickering back and forth. And the Alice Krieg, Mrs. Mrs. Mack, her character has a heart attack. Now, we find Leatherface is there. Uh, we never see his face. He's, he's kind of upstairs in the shadows on a little bit of a landing. Uh, we only see him from, from behind. He's, he's obviously older, got longer gray hair. Still a big hulking monstrosity of a man. But when the Alice Creed character, you know, tells him everything's okay, he, he moves off. Uh, she has this heart attack. And while they're on the way to the hospital, she dies in Leatherface's arms, so to speak. And that sets him off. Now, these kids that come to town, uh, there's, there's four of them. 
There's Melody, played by Sarah Yarkin. She's kind of the ringleader of this whole thing. Her partner in all this, Dante, is played by Jacob Lattimore. Uh, his girlfriend, Ruth, is played by uh, Nell Hudson. And Melody's sister, Lila, is played by Elsie Fisher. So Melody, Ruth, Dante, they're all a part of this kind of uh, push to gentrify and uh, update downtown Harlow and sell you know pieces of property to different influencers who are on this bus heading towards Harlow. Uh, the Elsie Fisher character, Lila, is probably one of the more interesting characters and a character we get a little bit about what she's gone through, but we don't get enough. The other ones are really kind of, they're, they're all really annoying. In true slasher film fashion, they're kind of that stereotypical young adult in today's society uh, probably woke, probably say things like, okay, boomer a lot. And, and they're just not terribly likable characters. The character Lila, she's the younger sister of Melody. She seems to be, she's just along for the ride. She's the survivor of a school shooting. And we get a, a flashback to that. It's not terribly gratuitous. I mean, there is blood on the floor, uh, but we get to see the trauma that she's gone through. And I've seen some reviewers and some critics talking about that, how it was gratuitous and you didn't need to see it. It was exploitative. And and I, I didn't find that uh, to be the case, especially when you think of the the overarching theme of this, which we'll get to towards the end of this podcast. But I think there's a theme to this movie that ties in with her being the victim uh, of a school shooting and the survivor of a school shooting because she's dealing with a lot with this and she's not in a good headspace with this. She keeps telling her sister she's fine. Her sister is very protective. The Melody character is very protective of her younger sister, almost overbearingly so. But we've got these, uh, these, all these pieces in place. This group of friends that have shown up. Uh, we've got this bus full of influencers that has come into town. They're partying, and Leatherface has been unleashed. And you get those really cool, iconic scenes that we saw in the trailer, where he's uh, he's holding up the the skin from someone's face. Uh, well, it's a bit of a spoiler, but not terribly uh, spoilery because Alice uh, Krieg does pass away he takes off her face and that is the face he's going to wear but he's holding it up into the sunlight that was that was a really cool shot uh that i that i really enjoyed and then that scene where he's in the the field of dying sunflowers because the this harlow in this area texas known for their sunflowers but he's he's in this field of sunflowers and he's put the the face on the alice creed character's face on and he kind of pops up out of the these dead sunflowers and just very creepy added to one of the things I thought was done really well is a, a bit of atmosphere at times in this. And then he goes on his killing spree. And while this movie lacked in a lot of areas, as far as the story went, uh, the one thing it did not lack is interesting kills and the massacre in this you know i said earlier that texas chainsaw massacre even when i first saw it originally like in, probably in my mid-teens uh back in the late 80s early 90s i thought 
wow, this is called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but only one person gets killed with a chainsaw, and that's Franklin, the guy in the wheelchair from the original one. Uh, Nobody else actually got killed with a chainsaw. Uh, Leatherface just chased Sally around with a chainsaw quite a bit, but uh, but he the only one person got killed. This did not hold back on the chainsaw kills. We had that really uh, cool scene where Leatherface kind of springs to life after uh, Alice Krieg dies, where he breaks the guy's wrist and then uses the guy's own broken wrist to, to stab him in the neck with the uh, with the broken bit of bone. Uh, that was really cool. The the whole bus scene, and I was going to hold off on talking about this because this scene probably made me want to watch this movie. When I watched the, the trailer, I'm like, the movie could suck to high heaven, but I think I'm going to find this scene really funny. And, and therein lies one of the worries I had about this, that this was going to be much like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and, and be kind of spoofy and lots of... Uh, jokes about millennials and uh, lots of jokes about gentrification and lots of you know lots of ties into social media and stuff like that well they did they didn't do overdo that which was nice but this scene where all these people are on this bus and Leatherface walks onto the bus and everybody pulls out their phone and is live streaming Leatherface and the guy says try something and you'll be canceled bro (laughs) And Leatherface starts up the chains on. The guy's like, oh, fuck. And then one of the... This really put the massacre in... Texas Chainsaw Massacre because he just lets loose on that bus and some great gore kills. Uh, You know, they're not reinventing the wheel here. Uh, I don't know what some of these people that uh, review and critique this movie or other movies, I I don't know what they want. I don't think they know what they want. They just want something that they can uh, bitch about. Uh, But it, it was fun. You know, as as slasher movies and blood and gore goes, it was fun. It was a fun a fun watch. Uh, I know it probably seems uh, a bit sick and macabre and maybe a little bit twisted to say that whole thing was fun, but but it was a fun scene. If you like gore and if you like uh, the massacre in your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that scene right there alone should do something for you. Now, unlike Halloween, uh, the David Gordon Green Halloweens, uh, which we got Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode right off the bat. Uh, this, we had to wait pretty much through the whole movie before we got the Sally Hardesty character showing up. And and like I said, Owen uh, Fuere did a, a really good job. I, I bought that she was this character. You know, in the original film, she's being chased and, and all she kept saying is, please help, please help, please help me. But then as she's escaping in the bed of that pickup truck and Leatherface is doing his dance and she's kind of starts out crying and then ends up laughing. You know, something's snapped. Uh, you, you can tell something about that hardened her and, and she became a Texas Ranger and she looked for Leatherface for 30 some years and, and never found him. And she's, she's this badass character. So you're really kind of expecting her to come in and save the day, which uh, she does to a degree, but not in the way that you're thinking. Now, it's not too big of a spoiler because you figure right off the bat, uh, Elsie Fisher is going to be your final girl. She's not the only one there. You know, somebody else makes it towards the end. But I did really like the final showdown between her 
uh, Lila character and Leatherface. I, I thought it was done well. I I enjoyed the little bit of a twist. And not really a twist. You think you know how things are going to go, but there's a little bit of a surprise. Maybe not a huge surprise. You could probably see it coming, but it, it was something I wasn't sure if they were going to do. You think she is on her own in her fight against Leatherface, but she is not alone. And then I really liked the surprise ending because that's, that's what... You do in slasher movies. You think the slasher is dead. You think Jason's mom's dead and Jason comes up out of the lake and pulls you down under. Or you think you've killed off Freddy, but uh, all is right with the world and you find out you're just in a dream and he's driving you off in somebody's car. Just when you thought Leatherface was dead. Spoiler alert. Leatherface is not dead and and exacts his revenge, so to speak. And we find Elsie Fisher's Lila uh, unable to do anything about it. But you can tell she's stronger for what she's gone through. We'll probably see both of them back if they do another sequel to this, which I, I think they do. I think they will. Uh, I hope they do. Because while this wasn't a great movie, I did enjoy it for what it was. It was a slasher flick. I'm not expecting uh, high art. I'm not expecting any great amount of psychology into what makes Leatherface tick. Now, if you go into this just looking for a slasher flick with a lot of gore and kills in a watchable movie then you're not going to be disappointed with this. If you're going into this looking for more than what the bill of sales tells you you got, then then that's on you. Because I thought I thought the acting was good. You know, some of the characters were a little one-dimensional. The Melody character, Dante, Ruth, all a little one-dimensional. Uh, the the Lila, Elsie Fisher character, was the only one that really had some interest. Uh, there was another character, Richter, played by Mo Dunford, which I, I really would have liked to have seen more with him because, you know, he kind of came across a, a little bit rednecky, but he was the, you know, he was a man of action. Uh, he was big and and strong and he had a gun and you thought, okay, this is going to be a great foil for Leatherface. Uh, he doesn't last long. Uh, you know, but but he, he really had that look. You thought, okay, this guy maybe has a military background. He's going to kick Leatherface's ass, and and we find out that Leatherface uh, Leatherface doesn't care what your training is, doesn't care if you have a gun. Uh, Leatherface is a formidable uh, slasher and a formidable monster in the worst sense. But his character was an interesting character, the Richter character. I would have liked to have seen more of him. I would have liked to learn more about him. His was uh, a character that had maybe some depth to it. But but Elsie Fisher, her character Lila, probably one of the more interesting characters. And, and that's why I wish the writing was a little better. Because, like I said... Uh, you know, this had the kills. It had great special effects. Whether they were practical or, or CG, they were really good. I enjoyed the special effects on this. I enjoyed the look of the film. The tone of the film was really good. There was there were some scenes that were really truly haunting. That, like I said, that scene where Leatherface is holding the 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 skin up to the sun, and that scene where he kind of pops up out of the sunflower field. 
There were some other really good like silhouette scenes of him that just were haunting and creepy and 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 the sound design was very akin to what they did in the original, I think. Maybe not a, a carbon copy of the sound design they did in the original, but it it felt like it brought that feel to the movie that the original had with their sound design. And I like the direction. Their direction was good. Uh, the acting was was pretty good. Uh, there were some characters that, like I said, were were okay, but I don't know if that was a reflection of the acting or or the writing. But but I enjoyed everyone's performance for the most part. Alice Krieg, she's a rock star when it comes to horror, the horror genre or sci-fi genre. Uh, Olin Fuery, uh, I, I thought she did a really good job playing the Sally Hardesty uh, character. Uh, not being the original character, I, I thought she did a good job. I thought uh, Mark Burnham, who played Leatherface, did a really good job. He had kind of that posture and that movement, that lumbering movement, but lumbering with a with an agility to it, a bit of quickness to it. The only thing that really bothered me uh, was the storytelling in this. Uh, I, I just don't think the story was done in a way that did this movie any justice a lot of things didn't make sense why these these people these these young people were coming to this town to buy it up when it's out in the middle of nowhere are we supposed to believe people could actually make a pilgrimage to this town in the middle of nowhere texas to get their spiced mocha decaf chococino or, or whatever or to buy their artisan soaps these young people are, are wanting to make this into this uh hipster gen z millennial paradise and like i said this is the middle of nowhere texas so that was a bit unbelievable uh i didn't really care about most of the characters the melody character i only started to care about her slightly towards the end she did have some sympathetic nature to her uh the dante and ruth character i didn't really care about them uh, the people on the bus, the the influencers and the podcasters and the uh, YouTubers on the bus, I didn't care about. I they were, and that's what they were essentially there for fodder for Leatherface. <laughs> the Richter character was interesting. I, I think it was well written. The Lila character was interesting. I just don't think we got to know enough about them. Lila's probably the one we got to know. Uh, the most about but you just didn't care about a lot of these characters and and it also really didn't do much for the mythos of Leatherface now I know in the other sequels that we are now discounting you know there's a lot of mythos set up for Leatherface and we got to little know a little more about his family and his roots and stuff like that well that's all out the window now uh, so they have a chance to really kind of define what is this character what is Leatherface's deal uh, so to speak and they didn't really do anything you know in the original 74 which this is a direct sequel to you had the old man you had uh, the the hitchhiker grandpa and grandma you know, you, you had these things, you had, you know, you, there was something going on there. You didn't know quite what, and it got kind of explained in, in later sequels, but they didn't play off of that. What happened to the, all of them? Where did they go? Why is Leatherface with this Alice Creed character in this orphanage? What happened to the Sawyer family? Uh, why is he back here? Uh, what has he been doing for 50 years? Uh, you know, he gets his chainsaw out of, you know, it's been walled up by Alice Krieg's character. But what has he been doing for these these 50 odd years? 
we just really didn't get any idea of what went on. And when you had the character, the Sally character, the only one that really knew anything about Leatherface, uh, she wasn't around long enough to even give us any insight. Leatherface, the town, or his family. Lila is probably going to show up in the next one, but she knows nothing more about Leatherface than when she did going into this movie, which was nothing other than she fought him. And they didn't really build on the the mythos of Leatherface and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I thought was a, a misstep by the writing. Uh, another issue I kind of had with this, uh, in spite of all the things I liked, I just, there weren't really many scares. There was some tension. There were scenes that were haunting and eerie. I caught eerie vibe a lot. I caught the tension. But there was no point in this movie where I was truly scared. And you can chalk that up to it being a slasher movie. And slasher movies aren't necessarily good for psychological horror. But I think that's that's a BS cop-out. Because Halloween certainly has tons of psychological horror. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th really played on scares. Uh, there wasn't even any like, and I'm not a big fan of jump scares, but there wasn't even any jump scares. Uh, so uh, that was, a, I think, a, a downfall of this film is that there was no real scares in this. Uh, if you're watching this and you love blood and guts and gores and dismemberment, well, then you're going to love aspects of that. But if you're looking for, you know, for some real good scares, you know, the kind of stuff that makes you... Uh, you know, look over your shoulder when you're going out your front door at night to, to take the garbage out. Uh, there, there's nothing like that. And I, I don't know if it, it, it probably shouldn't bother me the way it did. But another thing I did not enjoy about this was how easily that chainsaw goes through everything. There's a scene where the Melody character, the Sarah Yarkin character, is like in this crawl space under the floorboards. And she's crawling away. And Leatherface has the chainsaw down in the floor and kind of almost chasing her as she's crawling away. And, and he's sawing through joices. And he's sawing through plumbing, uh, like metal plumbing. And, and that, that chainsaw is going through that metal plumbing like a hot knife through butter. And... That was obviously done by somebody who's never worked a chainsaw before, as far as the special effects aspect of it goes, because that's just not how it works. But, and like I said, that's probably one of the least uh, offendable things that, that this movie did. But for all of its shortcomings, I did enjoy it. It was an enjoyable watch. It made me wish that some things were done different, some things were done better. It may it, it was good enough though that I'm interested to see if they do uh, another one, uh, where they'll go with this. Are are we gonna get more about the Leatherface mythos? Are we gonna find out a little? You know, I'm not one that has to have everything explained to me, but I, I want to know a little something about this this killer. That you know, what what makes him tick? What makes him do the things he does? I don't want it all explained for me. Don't, please, for the love of God, don't sit there and feel like they have to tell us everything that uh, that makes this guy tick. But just a little something, a little morsel. What happened to the family? Why was he with Alice Krieg? What's he been doing? Just something to, to give us a little understanding of what has gone on these past 50 years and why he still is the way he is. Other than just being a deranged psychopath with a predilection towards gas-powered trimming tools. Now, the one thing I've heard a lot of criticisms about this movie that I, I actually uh, found a lot to dive into there. A lot of people weren't 
very happy with the themes and and probably uh, most of the people that weren't happy with some of the themes of this or didn't understand some of the themes of this, some of these reviewers and critics are probably the woke twats with their wokeness so far up their ass that they can't see that wokeness and canceling everything that you don't like or don't completely understand uh, may not be the best play. This really was a movie that kind of pitted the the old conservative way versus the new and progressive way, and neither one came across as right. Uh, the young kids coming in and moving in and, and gentrifying everything were, were doing so at the cost of unsettling everything that the people that owned that town loved and held dear. Uh, the people that own that town, there's a scene where Alice Krieg has a Confederate flag outside of her orphanage. And, you know, the, the Dante character, who is a, a young black man, takes offense to this. Uh, the girls take offense to this. They're trying to take it down. And, and Alice Krieg's character uh, is like, you know, I just keep that up there because that was my grandfather's. And it just makes me think of him. Which, you know, you can sit there and argue all day back and forth, whether that's right, whether that's wrong, whether it's trying to sympathize. But I think the problem is, is nobody takes consideration as to what things mean to other people. The young kids see a Confederate flag and their wokeness kicks in. Well, that's racist. Whoever owns that is a racist and they need to take it down. And I don't give a shit about what they think that means to them. And maybe they're right. Uh, I'm certainly not the type of person that will ever or has ever flown a Confederate flag outside of anything. But on the other hand, Alice Krieg is a character that that, that flag doesn't mean racism to her. It is a reminder of her grandfather. Right or wrong, don't sit there and try to cancel me because I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that is how that flag affects her. And but yet she is still not being sensitive and not taking into consideration that maybe that might offend somebody else on the outside looking in. So neither side really takes what the intentions or the thoughts of the other side into consideration. And I think that is a problem with society. So I think that really spoke volumes in this movie to me. That no side is 100% right. And we've got to find some middle ground. Some little place in the middle. Uh, in the center. Where you know each side can take the other side's thoughts and feelings into consideration instead of being, this doesn't offend me, so it shouldn't offend you, or this offends me, so it can be no more. I think one of the other main themes of this movie was involving the Lily character, who is, and, and also to a degree, uh, the Sally character. I think this movie, even more so than the gentrification issues, which they never go into great detail, but you can you can see their thoughts are, are, are quite obvious. And of course, issues with uh, social media and influencers and even cancel culture. Beyond that, beyond, like I said, the, the old versus the old guard versus the new guard, and you know, nobody really uh, taking the time to consider how the other side feels. Uh, regardless of that, I think probably the biggest theme of this movie in regards to Lila and Sally is uh, a theme about survivor's guilt. The Lila character, played by uh, Elsie Fisher, uh, I thought she did a great job with this character because she is a survivor of the school shooting. And she's 
Uh, she's riddled with survivor's guilt. She says on at least one occasion that she should have died in that school shooting. Better people died that day. Uh, you know, she she should have died because, you know, she's not going to make anything of her life. There's a lot of survivor's guilt there. And the Sally character also survivor's guilt in a different way. She's She's got the rage. Uh, you know, she's constantly looking at this picture of herself and Jerry and Pam and Franklin and Kirk uh, from back in the 1974 film. She's constantly looking at this picture. She's doing what she's doing, hunting down Leatherface for them uh, because she feels, you know, the guilt that she survived and they didn't make it. And she feels like she's got to do something. I think that's probably a, a couple ways to look at survivor's guilt uh, where one is just in the throes of depression uh, that they should have died and not the other person. The other uh, side is, you know, maybe, maybe they should have died too. They feel, but they're going to let rage and vengeance fuel them into, to making a reckless decision and going after Leatherface. But I think the moral is that you can't let being a victim define you. And I think maybe that's kind of a lesson that the Lila character learns is that, yeah, she, she was a victim of this shooting uh, she's a victim of what's going on here in Harlow with Leatherface. And I think that's a lesson she learns from Sally in, in one particular scene where Sally says, don't run because if you run, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. And Lila understands that she's haunted by the image of her dead classmates from the school shooting. I think in that moment, and then that's when she goes to confront Leatherface. I think in that moment, she decides that she's not going to be She's not going to let her victimhood or being a victim uh, define her. And granted, I've never been in a situation where uh, I've been in a school shooting or, or anything like that or had some you know psychopath uh, chasing me with a chainsaw. I, I don't know that kind of trauma and that kind of tragedy in my life. But I've, I've had some. I've had some tragedy in my life, things that have happened that... You know, I could sit there and let that define me or I can, you know, you never forget it, but you have to, and maybe not even move past it, but you have to, you have to turn it around on itself. Don't let that victimhood, that victim mentality keep you down and hold you back. You may never get over what happened to you, but you do have to do everything you can to not live in, in that moment and, and move forward. Uh, maybe that's easy for me to say. Uh, like I said, I, I've, I've never been in, in trauma this bad or tragedy this bad, but I think that's kind of a message of this is to, to don't let the horrible things that happen to you define who you are. You define who you are. You set the terms, not, not the circumstances around you. And I think that's a good message. So while there are things that really didn't work well with this movie. Like I said, the story just didn't seem to to give us enough reasons to care about some of the characters. Uh, it didn't connect enough of the dots with Leatherface from the, the first movie to this movie. There really weren't a lot of scares. There was some things I did like about this. I, I liked the kills. I liked the gore. You know, that's what you go to see a slasher movie for. Uh, I enjoyed a couple of the characters. Uh, the acting was pretty good. The themes, like we talked about, I thought were, were really good and enjoyable for, for me and, well, uh, aging Gen Xer. I thought the look and I thought the special effects and the tone and the pacing, this was an hour and 20 some minutes long and it, it really felt like it, you know, it, it didn't drag out. It, it was pretty quick moving 
and the pace was pretty good. At no point in this was I bored or looking at my phone or, or you know checking checking my watch. I thought this was a, a pretty good paced movie. I've heard a lot of uh, people critiquing this and reviewing this movie. Talk about how uh, people do dumb things in horror movies. They do dumb things. They make dumb decisions in in this movie. And, well, it's a horror movie. If they made smart decisions, then they would have left town after the first person was killed and movie over. So that is really kind of a hallmark of horror movies is that people don't always make the right decision. Uh, also... Uh, I dare say a lot of these reviewers and critics have never been in a situation where they're facing down a, what is he, probably like a 6'5 character, a hulking brooding man with a chainsaw and an apron covered with blood that wants to chop their body in half. Uh, I dare say they've never faced that, so they don't know how they would react. A lot of people in tragic situations in life or death situations it's not fight or flight they're frozen in fear and shock and people in shock and fear don't make the best decisions also uh f you scream uh <laughs> not everybody uh in a movie knows they're in a horror movie so <laughs> you know all the people on that bus didn't see dante's face uh hit by a chainsaw they, they didn't see that. They didn't know why they needed to run. Uh, the girl that did come back and saw it, she didn't know what she saw. She didn't know what happened to Dante. Uh, she didn't know that they should have just got out of there. Uh, of course, they didn't have the keys to get out of there. So just a lot of people bitching and, and nitpicking. And I, I hate this mentality that, that I blame on the Scream franchise, that everybody in a horror movie should know that they're in a horror movie and react as such. In real life, right now, I don't think I'm in a horror movie. And if somebody sneaks in behind me and hits me with a hatchet, at that moment, then I realize I'm in a horror movie. Of course, by then it's too late. So you, you get what I'm saying. You, you got to sit there and, and use some common sense. Not everybody acts, you know, all these people that are, are bitching and moaning because people made the wrong choice are the people that have never had to make that choice. And it's a lot easier to Monday morning quarterback. Well, if I were in a horror movie, I would do this and I would be the hero and I would, I would, or I would run. I would get out of there so fast. And, you know, circumstances uh, don't always dictate how we react to things, but sometimes they do. And and sometimes uh, the shock of a situation makes us, like I said, make poor decisions. So you got to cut these characters in these movies a little slack sometimes. Now, were there some situations here where, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't have done that? Yeah, of course you say that, but it, it's a movie for God's sake. You know, get a grip. Most people would be sitting there peeing their pants in fear, facing a cat-like Leatherface, not running, not fighting back, peeing their pants, and then getting their head lopped off with a chainsaw. And that chainsaw is probably going to go through your neck quicker than any actual chainsaw ever made in human history could go through somebody's neck. I'm still not over that. So like I said, I, I enjoyed this movie for what it was. It's not the best movie ever. It's not the best horror movie ever. Uh, but I enjoyed the things that I enjoyed about it. 
and the things that I did enjoy about it, uh, you know, they weren't that egregious that I couldn't sit back and just watch it and enjoy it. Would I have paid, you know, 10 bucks to go see this at the movie theater? Probably not. Uh, but it's on Netflix, so you know what? I've got Netflix, and I watched it. And I'm glad I watched it. I'm interested. It was good enough that I'm interested to see if they do another sequel, which it looks like they're leaning towards because we got the PS scene where Leatherface is walking up the driveway to his old house from the 1974 original. So Leatherface is going home. So, like I said, that's that's something to look forward to. Maybe a, maybe a sequel. Maybe they maybe they delve a little deeper into the things I really wanted them to get into. Maybe they learn from their mistakes and make the characters a little more multidimensional. Uh, maybe they focus focus on the Lila character a little more because I think she's a very interesting character, especially now that she's gone through this on top of the trauma she's already uh, incurred. So uh, a lot of interesting things they could dive into uh, if they did another uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. And if anything, at least they put the massacre into Texas Chainsaw Massacre with this film. So, you know, I gotta, gotta tip the hat to uh, David Blue Garcia. I thought he did a great job directing. Chris Thomas Devlin did the writing. He did the screenplay. I, I Like I said, I wish it had some different elements to it to, to really make the story a little more deep and and the characters are more a little more multidimensional. But like I said, it wasn't egregious enough that I didn't enjoy watching the movie. And that really is what we watch movies for, is to to enjoy something, to, to escape reality for a little bit and either be scared or watch some gory uh, bus chainsaw kill scenes or what have you. But I enjoyed it for what it was. And to all the Rube uh, websites and, and people writing columns for websites and, and Facebook pages that are calling this the worst movie ever made, uh, have you seen Norbit? But don't listen to the professional bitchers and moaners. You decide for yourself if you like it. I encourage you to check it out, watch it, and see for yourself whether you think it's worth the watch or not. If you have watched it, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you don't, uh, then that's fine too. Uh, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. Uh, if you have watched it, uh, I wonder what you think. Uh, you know, Feel free to, to talk about it on our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Tell us what you think about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the sequel. So like I said, check us out on Facebook, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Uh, we're always posting uh, new trailers to all the latest shows and films coming out. Uh, we've got interesting articles that we're finding all over the internet and sharing them there. Uh, keeping you up to date on uh, all that's going on with horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Uh, please like our Facebook page and get involved. Like stuff, comment there. We we want to hear what your thoughts are on some of these uh, some of these movies and TV shows that we talk about and things that we talk about on the podcast. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, please uh, share it with your friends, family, neighbors, everybody that loves horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Uh, subscribe, download, uh, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave us, we certainly do appreciate the feedback. And uh, until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>